0: Hello, I'm Michael
1: Barr. And I'm Scott Soschnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports
2: and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we sit down for a conversation with Scott O'Neill. He is the chief executive officer of the Philadelphia 76ers, the New Jersey Devils, and the Prudential Center. And now, he is helping to head up a new venture that combines those assets with an English soccer team and an esports team. But first... Let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi Williams. And Eben, we got to start with that scandal out of the NCAA this week. The announcement that was made on Tuesday by June Kim from the U.S. Justice Department. We have charged 10 people in three separate complaints four college basketball coaches, three people associated with professional managers and advisors, and three with ties to the major sportswear company, including its
3: global marketing director for basketball.
2: Scott, Evan, I can't begin to tell you how serious this is for the NCAA.
4: This is college basketball's worst-kept secret, and the federal government has brought it out into the light. It's not surprising that this is happening. What's surprising is that the government suddenly cares about it. And when you see people getting arrested, when you see criminal complaints happening, that's when a lot of college basketball and the NCAA world in general is going to start to worry.
1: The fact that Rick Pitino has already lost his job. Now, this is a guy who has been through more than one scandal and survived and reached the pinnacle of profession, multiple championships, multiple Final Fours, all the adulation. He is up there on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. And now you have to erase and airbrush him out of that picture. Because he has already been ensnared in this, and you know, Michael,
2: there's more to come. Well, here's what I don't understand, is why is the FBI involved in this instead of the NCAA itself?
4: It's a good question, and the NCAA has been either unwilling or unable, depending on where you sit, uh, to police its own rules. And now the FBI is essentially enforcing them themselves. And the big question beyond how many other schools, how many other coaches are going to be involved in this, the big question is whether the NCAA's amateurism rule, in which everybody's getting paid except the players, if that can survive this exposure.
1: Well, this is easy, Michael. The NCAA can't put somebody in jail. The NCAA does not have subpoena power. They caught somebody with some financial irregularities and offered to trade up. They made a deal, and this is what they got, a cooperating witness who was willing to wear a microphone and attend meetings. That's how this happens. But the question remains, as Eben just said, all this underbelly of the sport boils down to one thing. The players don't see the money. You don't see a shadow economy for coaches, for athletic directors, because they're getting paid. This is happening to the players because they don't share in the money.
2: This is going to be in the news for weeks. Let's move on to another topic now. In Major League Baseball this week, it's the start of a new chapter for the lowly Miami Marlins. The owners on Wednesday unanimously approved the sale of the franchise to the investment group led by Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman, guys. Yeah, When we say led by, let's make sure we know that's Bruce Sherman. Bruce brought the money, Derek brought Derek, and he
1: brought the face. Uh, we've already seen some moves, though, that indicate... That this franchise may have new ownership, but it might not be run any differently. That might be a problem, right, Evan?
4: For sure, and I don't know if you saw Jeffrey Loria's statement, but he said, uh, he told the fans of Miami that it was the singular honor of his life. Uh, to own the Miami Marlins, and I have I, a I venture to guess that a lot of fans disagree uh, with his enthusiasm for his ownership.
1: Yeah, but he won the World Series, and then he absolutely stripped all resources from the team. You wonder, though, as all the bankers who were involved in this deal and all who were watching from the sideline, they all told me, this team does not have enough money. The Sherman, Jeter Group... They don't have enough money to withstand the money that this team loses every year, the debt they're taking on, to have any sort of $150 million payroll. Will Giancarlo Stanton still be with this team next year? We don't know yet, but don't be surprised if he is not.
2: Now, if they start winning, might be a different story. More fans might be coming to the stadium. Maybe they can turn it around financially. Let's get to the story here in New York, where two of the city's richest team owners are in a fight for what might be the city's last all-new venue for decades. Scott, you wrote the story from Bloomberg. Tell us what you found out.
1: Yeah, well, the folks at the uh, Empire Development Corporation are looking to redevelop the Belmont State, where they have the racetrack. And we have NYCFC, the MLS soccer team partly owned by the Yankees, submitting an application to build a new building, a 26,000-seat arena. But we also have the New York Islanders, who are not happy in Barclays Center, and Barclays Center are not happy with them also, looking to move their back by Jim Dolan in part. So that group, you have the Dolans against the Steinbrenners. They're both not going to get a new arena. Now, of course, they also may find some other sites. This is one site that NYCFC is looking at. But this is New York. You now have a lot of fairly new and restored buildings. This is the last one that's going to be built for quite some time, it looks like therefore there's a lot a lot of uh, interest in it
4: that's the thing that stands out for me in the past five years we've had a one billion dollar renovation of the garden the barclay center is opened the yankees and the mets have new stadiums the giants and the jets built a new two billion dollar stadium right outside the city scott
1: o'neill's prudential center
4: the prudential center opened recently uh this is going to be the last in a long long time um and that makes the, the property that much more valuable and makes the story that much more interesting
2: Dolans versus the Brothers. look out Thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter, Evan Novi williams Now let's get to this week's interview with Scott O'Neill. He's the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers, the New Jersey Devils, and the Prudential Center. And now he's helping to head up a new venture that combines those assets with an English soccer team and an eSports team. So, Scott, we got
1: the news this week, and we've seen this sort of thing from others. What will this new entity, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, help you accomplish?
3: couple things. One is to properly structure the organization. So we had several promotions, uh, most notably Chris Heck becoming president of business operations of the Sixers, long time NBA exec. We've worked together three times. I've known him forever. I trust him. I love him. And he's built a heck of a business behind him. Um, brand expert, sales expert, he's built an incredible team, great leader. So hopefully to get some leverage for me to be out. So. Um, Out and doing deals. So uh, so the first thing is structure. The second thing is efficiencies is like can we find is there a better way to have than having three CRM leads or four CRM leads. Is it better to have one? There's certainly Efficiencies when you pull an organization together and then the third and probably most importantly is to create a platform to grow Um, We are there and this is not a unique concept um, and there are several that have rolled up and uh, with several properties uh, there aren't too many that, that do them in multiple locations around the country, and around the world. we're talking
1: AEG is AEG one, Kroenke Sports and Entertainment, MSG.
3: Kroenke would be the three that come to mind really quickly, um, for sure. Um, and we looked at Monumental, and I think Ted Leonsis has built a really, really solid and good business. Brooklyn's grown a little bit here, mostly in the borough, a little bit Manhattan. But for us, we're, we're looking very differently, and we we look at Kroenke and MSG and AEG quite a bit.
1: So what are you looking at then? I know you love to do deals. What sorts of things, I know you're not going to be specific, but what sorts of things would you like to add to what you've already got?
3: We think there's real estate play, certainly, in and around our venues. That's that's relatively simple and, and easily to understand.
1: Let's tell everybody one of the venues is the Prudential Center in Newark.
3: Yes, top five venue in the U.S. driving more shows uh, and ticket sales than big venues like the Toyota Center in Houston, United Center in Chicago, even the new Cap One Center in D.C. So you have a... An incredible arena, 10 years old, in little old Newark, New Jersey, in a pretty good market with four and a half million people and a lot of disposable income, which nice. seems to be booking a lot of shows. I
1: would say, though, in that kind of arena, in that market, it'd be prime for two tenants. You've got one anchor tenant in the Devils. Is that what it was supposed to be? Or would you like more guaranteed no, it pre- nights? It
3: predates me. You know, we, um, I actually love the concert business and the entertainment business, so we have a great relationship with... Um, Live Nation, great relationship with AEG. Uh, we actually have a deal with MSG and, and booking with them. And then Tim Laiweke and OVG. So so we're pretty much a Switzerland-type building, We and we are booking a ton of shows, and we'd like to keep that going. It's a great business. Because
1: AEG and MSG, not exactly
3: a Switzerland-type situation. <laughs> For those who know, you know the business, especially in New York, it's a tough business in this market, though. You, you know what i found? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of competition. You know what i found in, in our business is that the bigger we grow, the more conflicts we have, um, and we have built this business on relationships and partnerships, and we'll continue to do that. And so, and, and sometimes you find yourself partnering in on one side of the business and then fighting like cats and dogs on the other. And I, I'd love our our competition to only be about on the ice, on the pitch, and on the court, and and not in doing deals and and, and partnering. I think that's the way we're going to grow this and scale it really quickly.
2: Is this the trend in the industry, all of the assets under one
3: roof like this? You know what I think the trend of the industry is, is that a new age group of owners have come in. The valuations have climbed so quickly. I mean, we all saw what, what IMG went for, and then the Clippers, and then the Rockets, and UFC, and you start thinking, okay, these are real businesses that need real professional owners. Um, and it doesn't mean they're not, they're not big fans of the sports that they buy and any and interest for sure. It just means everything's a little more sophisticated and we're, we're building a business of the business. So as the valuations continue to rise and, and some, of the, um, some of the owners tra- uh, turn over and change over, um, I think you'll see people uh, building. You know, I, we have an expression, we say you're either growing or dying. And, um, and I think that's a sentiment that I think you'll hear from a lot of the new age owners who are looking to build real businesses. You can find synergies, you can find scale, even simply like the in terms of financing and liquidity to be able to move those two back and forth uh, amongst the bigger organizations, certainly helpful. That's all like the old saying. If you're not first, you're last. <laughs> we certainly like being first. Tell it? me all the things you've
1: been first. I know you love to <laughs> nah. do this. Go. I'm going to tee you up because nah. we've known each other so long. We nah. have been
3: first with, go ahead. No, we've been first in a few things. We do like being first. So we were, we, so, you know what? The thing is, we, um, we've done a few things to get out in front. So the Jersey Patch is something that people talk about. The first East Coast home of the, the Grammy Museum, which will open up at the Prudential Center. We've got, we've got plenty of things we've done. At a, we, we like to get out there for sure.
1: We are chatting with Scott O'Neill, the CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. Scott, you talked—you mentioned the jersey patch. Warriors got twenty million per. So common in Europe, you guys own Crystal Palace. You mentioned pitch earlier. Why are we so behind here with things like sports
3: betting, jersey patches? I mean, these are full-fledged banner ads all over the world. Why we're behind? You know, I have no idea why we're behind on the on the the jersey patches. I mean, and um, you know, a couple of the leagues opened up. I think the NFL has done a. Um, on their practice jersey, i I have no. I honestly have no idea. I mean, I sit in the meetings. I, I hear the dialogue. There's David publicly, David Stern used to say publicly that 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 space was sacrosanct. But then privately, well, he'd say, "You know what? It's just not enough there's, money there's, there." Right. He would say, "There's always a price." And I, I would say, the NBA is an easy one. It's a, It's a. It's a, the most global of properties. Um, it's the dominant league in the world. What's what separates it from from football or soccer is that. You know, soccer has multiple incredible leagues. The NBA, basketball, has one dominant league, and it's such a global phenomenon. I think you'll continue to see the NBA explore what a jersey, what the jersey might look like in the future. There are still some owners, though, that that love the purity and sanctity of the jersey, and and that's terrific. It just hasn't seemed to hurt. Uh, Man use Jersey Sales. I'm
1: guessing that those owners do not fall under the classification of new age, as you said. There's many ways we could describe those new age. But when you say new age, do you mean younger? Do you mean private equity, venture capital? What do you mean by
3: new age? That's a good question. Um, It's probably some combination of all. I think when you have a private equity mindset, um, it's one that, that you're trying to drive value and drive growth. And you do that through a couple different ways um you know you you try to hire present company excluded a a really talented management team and you give them the resources you use your financial acumen to restructure so you're in a good position to grow and and then you're trying to drive as much value as you possibly can while working in a league system which is that's the one thing that's really unique because you do have 29 in some cases 30 other partners that you need to work closely with.
2: You guys have the 76ers. One thing about an NBA game compared to baseball, in an NBA game, it's about a little over two hours. And it's great for the family to come in. It's great for viewers to watch the game. In baseball, not to slam baseball, it's like the old George Carlin line. We don't know when it's going to end. But in but in basketball, you can watch the game, and that translates to good business,
3: because uh, sponsors like that, the, the pace keeps going, uh, people like that. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, has been harping on even shortening the game and tightening the game even more, and you've seen some real changes over the last couple of years to make sure to eliminate timeouts, to make sure teams are coming out of timeouts quicker, that guys are getting to the free throw line quicker, that there's there's fewer and fewer pauses in the game. And as a fan, I love that as well. Um, you know, in, in, in some cases, the end of games took quite some time. And we heard it more as more from the TV partners, to your point, than than the fans. The fans just love the action at the end of the game. Uh, but the more we can keep the, the pace of play going, I think the better for the game. I mean, the NBA is in such incredible shape. You have this I mean, it's just look at Philadelphia, we, got, well, we sell out every game, This team won 28 games last year and we sell out every game this year. Um, there's so much excitement in and around the world, let alone our individual markets. Tell us what it was like.
1: You were the CEO of a team that went through, and I'm going to be very kind here, a rebuilding phase, intentional or otherwise, that probably took a little longer than you would have thought. The winning was not there. What was the nadir for you? And having to go through that. You know, if we had all
3: known how difficult it was going to be in terms of the pressure from the fans, pressure from the media, pressure from the league, pressure from our families, pressure from our friends. But your
1: families, what
3: did that look like? <laughs> it wasn't great, you know. Um, and so you, you, we heard from just about everybody. So the question is, is if we had known now what we knew then, would we have gone through the pain and I think if you took a straw poll of, from Josh Harris and David Blitzer and me and Brian and whoever else was in the mix, our, our different owners, owners and ownership group, I think just about everybody would say yes. Um, we're, we want to win a championship. And to do that, we're willing to go the distance. I've been in other organizations where we talked about it, uh, but I'm not sure we were willing to actually do it. And, and here, we're willing to give it a shot. Are we going to guarantee championship? No, no, no. But are we going to be in the conversation if we're healthy? I think very much so. Like, I I think that um, I don't, it wasn't, there wasn't a minute where I'd say it was enjoyable. There were enjoyable moments, but the process was uh, as difficult a process professionally as I've ever gone through on every facet and front you could possibly fathom.
1: And you told everybody to trust the process, and now you're sort of coming out of all that. They have trusted what is the light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't seem to be a train.
3: It's definitely not an oncoming train. Um, you know, the process is something that we've talked about for some time, and I think we'll talk about for some time in the future, because the process, people misunderstood it and mischaracterized it, and particularly out of the market, and in the market, everybody understood. The process out of the market, there's like, it's losing. And I'm like, no, no, no. the process is about winning. And so it's like, what are you willing to do to build and grow this organization? And the process for us was as much about building a culture, building our training complex, so we could have a twenty-four hour, four seasons type gym that our players could come and, and call home. It's like all those steps we took, and and yeah, did we accumulate a lot of draft picks? We sure did. Did did we take uh, quite a quite a few chances on the basketball side? We sure did. Um, but but it's it's a process that will go on for some time, hopefully ends in a, in a parade down Broad Street.
1: Would Josh consider it a successful season? And I don't care if it's Devils, if he's holding the Stanley cup, or if he's taking the Larry O'Brien trophy from Adam Silver, if he lost 50 million bucks, but won a championship, is that a successful season to Josh?
3: You know, I, I, I'd rather like just take out losing money and winning. We're here to win championships. And so a success would be a, a championship on any of our, our fronts, for sure. Um, in terms of, of it's a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, there is a way to, to, to lose a lot of money on some of the sports if you win. Um, but we, we think that winning and good business are inextricably linked.
1: What do you see from franchise valuations moving forward, driven by media, mostly? As an executive who counts on that national revenue, what's going through your mind?
3: We we think at least from from our from, uh, start local and then go national then then uh, global. So on a local end, we think the two differentiating factors are data and content. And so we're spending a lot of our time trying to figure out um, do what do we know who do we know and what do we know about those we know in terms. Do you of mean our your customers
1: base. know about our customers?
3: Yes, and and our fan base is quickly becoming a global fan base, which is, is offers up some interesting opportunity. And then from a content end. You know, we have access to the greatest athletes in the world, and we know them as people, and we can showcase them, and we can give access to our fans that nobody else can. And we think uh, going forward, you'll likely see our content in, in Mandarin and Croatian and Spanish and in French um, as we start to look at different opportunities around the world. And that, to us, is really exciting. From a from a national end, and how the leagues look at at deals and programming and media and how they work with the different media partners, you know, they're... They're pretty well healed. I'll go back to the NBA again um, because I work there and know the league so well. Like, There's no more talented... I mean, between Adam Silver and Bill Koenig, there are no more two talented media executives that understand the landscape uh, than those two in the world. And so I think we're in pretty good hands and pretty good shape. Is there going to be a one-to-one baton pass-off and transition in f- financially? You know, they would know better than I would. I can tell you that the value of content, live sports content, NBA, NHL, EPL, eSports, Team Dignitas, it's bigger and more important than it ever has been before. Because it's the one, you know, David Stern, the commissioner, used to say DVR proof. I don't even know if there are DVRs anymore. But there's certainly, um, it's programming, it's must watch TV, and it's it's appointment television, appointment viewing, and that's really hard to find now anywhere else. So I think it's going to keep its value for forever.
1: What did you learn when you were at MSG and you were the CEO? Do you remember the day I was in your office years ago and we were talking about Jeremy Lin? And you said, I got a call from Coke wanting to change the signs in the arena into Mandarin. You got an earlier glimpse as to what the power of sport on the global basis and how fast it can come and what opportunities can come. Does that stick with you now when you're thinking sort of on the global scale with all your properties?
3: It sure does. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have sat through two of the great branding stories at least in my lifetime in sports and one is the Linsanity time was <laughs> Linsanity for sure and then uh, Trust the Process has has wherever I go in the country in the world now when I'm walking away or walking up to someone they'll say good morning Trust the Process go Sixers Trust the Process and this could be from a from a grandmother to a young kid anywhere around the world it's kind of fun to see those two Branding that I happen to to uh, to be a part of have such scale in terms of the early look, a hundred percent and absolutely. Um, you know, I had I remember I got a call from from Lee Li Ning, like the Lee Li Ning, like the actual gymnast who who has, who the, has brand. the sneaker brand. <laughs> yes. Yeah, correct, correct. And he said, "Hey, um, you know, I, I'd I'd like to come to New York. My son is a huge fan of Jeremy Lin, and we'd like to do a deal."
1: And you said, "Okay."
3: I said, we'd love to see you. <laughs> I'll send the plane. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, yeah, so, so to get a sense and to be able to do deals um, in Hong Kong and, and mainland China um, for because we had a player just making an impact certainly gave me an inside look as to what the future of the world is and how small this world is and how wide and strong and impactful and globally appealing the NBA has become. We're talking to Scott O'Neill, the CEO of Harris Blitzer
2: Sports and Entertainment. And old man Barr has got to ask a question about esports. And my twenty-six-year-old son slapped me into reality. Because my first thought was like, Now who in the heck is going to watch video games on TV? And then he told me, it says, You need to shut up, Dad, because you were watching Championship Bridge on TV a long time ago. And when he said that, I'm like, you know what? Many had me watch one of the esports contests. You had him shut off the Golden Girls. And I did. <laughs> watch. The... <laughs> You're not far off. I was watching Perry Mason. He had me, he had me shut it off. But yeah. that's the thing. I, I was intrigued. It's like, yes, people are going to watch people play video games. And, and I really got into it. Tell me where do you think esports is going to go in the
3: future? Sure. Well, it's certainly a, a far cry from the days of Pong and even from Donkey Kong, that's for sure. Um, esports e- is it's going to become a real business it has a tremendous fan base you know more people watch the League of Legends which is a one of the the kind of the power game in, in esports more people watch the League of Legends World Championships than watch the College Football National Championship just to give you a sense um, now they're watching on Twitch versus um, from their living room on their television that's hanging on the wall but that's more a function of, of the world than anything else the reality is 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 there are you'll have hundreds of thousands of people watching streamers, ex pros practice like there's so much audience appeal and so much of avidity and affinity to esports. Um, I, I think it's this is going to keep growing. Um, And by growing, I mean uh, the business. Uh, The fan base is growing pretty dramatically, but but I think the business is, you know, I think the the stat I recently read was that money spent per fan in eSports is about 70 cents. In the NFL, it's about $75 per fan.
1: What do they spend it on?
3: Good question. They spend it on some on merchandise, some on tickets, some on premium content.
1: We only have a couple of minutes left, so I want to belabor the point here of Colin Kaepernick. But we're in this world now where everything seems to be revolving around Kaepernick and Trump. Were you at the NBA when Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf didn't want to stand? Where Where were you? In- I think I was at the Philadelphia Eagles, I Okay, believe. and we I, In my head, I can only think, we've been here before. We've done this. You, as an executive do you plan now your sixers season in starting it seems as if NBA players have free reign when it comes to social issues much more than the NFL they have the support of the league the commissioner seemingly the owners where's
3: your head going into a season and Devils uh m- more interesting on the sixers the-, the players are just a little more socially active you know and and um, but they feel comfortable because <coughs> I think they feel they're supported by their teams right it's not only support I think it's it's more like, We understand the platform that we've been given. And I say we because the the league is run as a partnership between the players, the league, the teams, the owners, the executives. That's how we see each other. It's it's definitely a, a family or a partnership. And so we believe that we have an obligation to leverage this platform to drive social change. And that, to me, is is like that's what makes it worth it. And so when you look, talk about what might concern me or what I think about is I want to make sure that the players um, understand certainly that they have a platform and a bridge. And also that they understand the impact that their words might have um, and how they use them and how they use, choose to use their their platform. And remember, these are young men, generally. I mean, our team is particularly young on both. both the Sixers and Devils are particularly young teams. And so a lot of our, our um, council conversations are wrapped around what do you want your brand to, to look like? Like, we, what, what do we want you – how do you want to see yourself? Do you want to be an activist? Do you want to be out front? Do you want to be sit behind? Do you not want to engage? That's okay, too, um, socially. Um, the only thing we, we insist upon is that, um, is that we are active and that we are in the game. And by that, I mean we roll up our sleeves and we're in the community. Our players are out there everywhere. We just had a camp last week with uh, 900 kids in Camden, New Jersey, and Justin Anderson rolls in. And Justin Anderson delivers a 20-minute talk to these kids in Camden that bring bring tears to your eyes. And and our kids go out and they serve, and I love it. And they care, and they're actually invested in the community. The talk is great. The raising awareness is fantastic. To be able to drive a dialogue in a country that so badly needs healing and dialogue is wonderful. And that's a great opportunity. But but I, I at least from our end, um, our conversations with the players are like, great, now let's go back it up and help somebody. Scott O'Neill, the Chief Executive Officer of the new Harris Blitzers Sports and Entertainment,
2: thank you so much for coming in and talking with us.
3: Thank you. Get your HBSE t-shirts
2: now. I have HSBC. I, I got a toaster with that. What do I get? What do I get with this? All right, thank you, guys. gentlemen. You're terrific. Takeaways from Scott O'Neill. My goodness, esports. And it's like I was saying earlier. Who in the world would sit down to watch people play video games? Well, a lot of people. And my son convinced me that this is something that's important to watch. Esports is going to grow.
1: Yeah, that's only one small part of what they do, though. Takeaway from me is that Josh Harris and David Blitzer have their eye on global sports properties. They want to be right up there with AEG, and they want to be right up there with MSG. They want to be right up there with Cronky Sports and Entertainment. All of these big players, they're not happy anymore to have a team or even two, imagine that, in just a small area. My goal is to be the number one
2: pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since i a kid. feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because three. of Mike. My... We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week, 50. This one's an easy one because Aaron Judge, he broke the rookie home run record that was set by Mark McGuire. Aaron Judge, I mean, I can't say enough about this rookie.
1: Well, first of all, you said it's easy. Neither of us came up with it behind the glass. That was Medina Parwano who came up with this number of the week. So we'll have to like that one. Uh, let's A little shout out there. But what I'm struck with is how he sells. Like the Yankees are using this guy to sell. You have the Judge's Chambers. He's in their promos. He on the he has his tops cards. It's like seven of the of the ten best-selling cards are all about Aaron Judge. His jersey that was worn at the home run derby is the by far the highest price that it's going for. He is a business unto himself. I'm excited to watch him in the next year or two if he stays like this on the field. Of course, it's all predicated on on the Yankees winning and him being successful. keep hitting home runs, but it's going to be fun to see what this guy
2: can do. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott
1: Soschny. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we continue our conversations with the best and brightest in the business of
2: sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.